Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. I'm the pastor here at Dwell Church. Welcome to, is this our third week here? I don't know. We're still living out of boxes, but it feels like we've been here forever at the same time. I'm not really sure. Uh, But anyway, welcome to Dwell Church. If you're just joining us today, this is your first time, or you're not a regular attender, I just want to apologize in advance. This is going to be weird, okay? Uh, Even for the, I guess for the regulars, I'm not apologizing at all. It's going to be weird, okay? So I'm sorry about that. Uh, Things are going to get kind of strange. I don't know if it was the strangeness of the text or if it was all the cough syrup I was, like, guzzling this week, but uh, this is not going to be a regular sermon, okay? Like, it's going to, it's just going to get a little strange, I hope you'll allow me a little creative license. Uh, I'm a four on the Enneagram if you care about that kind of stuff. If not, I promise I'm not into witchcraft. But uh, all that to say, sometimes I get a little creative, but man, I get a little like scared about it too, okay? So I'm I'm super tender about this. I took a chance, okay? So just, uh, it's it's gonna get weird because today we're talking about John the Baptist. Uh, you just heard our text. We really, really, really believe uh, super hard in preaching straight through Scripture because uh, what happens if you just sort of pick and choose what you want is you end up camping out on the things that you want to talk about. You end up avoiding the things you don't want to talk about and not really seeing the whole canon of Scripture. And so that's why we do what we do here at Dwell Church, going straight through books of the Bible. Today we come across a strange passage like this one about a guy who gets beheaded because of a really good dance that somebody else saw. I mean, it is just super weird, okay? Um, another problem that happens when you preach straight through books of the Bible the way that we do, a sort of, I guess, a downfall of that, is not only that you see weird stuff, but you get things in little pieces, right? So already we've gotten like these three little chunks, these little touch moments of like John the Baptist's story, but we haven't put together a full picture of who exactly John the Baptist is. And so you might be coming to this kind of fresh and dry and just being like, okay, so this guy got beheaded. What does that have to do with me? And that's a fair question. So what we did or what we're going to do today is actually look at the entire life of John the Baptist. I have decided to do is to create a little bit of a story about John the Baptist, okay? So this is going to be a biography written as if it were an autobiography, all right? Did I get that right? So I'm going to be using first person singular. Now, I want to say, too, that, like, man, I remember one time, uh, right before Sarah and I got married, actually, we were going to this church, great, fabulous church. Uh, One of the pastors, the, like, discipleship pastor, he got up to preach one week, and I kid you not, stepped up there in, like, full headdress, And he was like, I'm Pharaoh. I'm going to tell the story of Moses from my perspective. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is lame. And then we had, like, uh, premarital counseling with him on Monday. And I was like, dude, I can't take you seriously right now. Like, I don't even trust you anymore. So I'm risking that in this moment. I'm not doing anything much different. I'm not going to wear a camel shirt or, like, a big beard or anything. But uh, here's sort of the reason behind it. This is the longest intro ever. I'm sorry about this. The reason behind it is because I've recently gotten into biographies, and it's kind of fascinating to me. I think I've never, I I like to read, but I've never gotten into them, and I think the reason is I'm like, 
I want somebody to be like taking me to some sort of world that they created, a sort of, you know, falseness that's meant to like tell me a truth, or I want someone to be communicating truth directly to me. So those are kind of two books that I read, right? Fiction or nonfiction that is just meant to sort of teach me something. I've never gotten into biographies. Recently, in reading a few biographies that were recommended to me, I realized that like you can learn a lot just from hearing someone's story, which is really the point of the Gospels, right? Like this is what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are doing. They're saying like, hey, we're just going to give you the facts. Like, sure, we're going to highlight some stuff. We're going to teach you some things. We're going to bring some stuff out of it. But we're really just telling the story. And so John the Baptist's story never gets told in just sort of one succinct place in all of Scripture. And so what I've done is I've collected a bunch of stuff, put it together, and whipped it up into uh, an in hopefully interesting form. So uh, last caveat, and then we'll jump in. Do your own research, okay? So uh, I'm going to be using a lot of scriptural texts here, but not necessarily citing them. And so if the story of John the Baptist interests you at all, you can find all of my source material uh, right there in scripture. One thing that I love to do is go to BibleGateway.com. For me, it's just the easiest online Bible to use. There's nothing magical about it. I don't get a kickback or anything like that. Type in the thing that you want to look at. So John the Baptist would be the thing that you would put in the search bar, and it will literally instantly bring up every time John the Baptist is in Scripture. You can see all of these uh, points. Super, super easy. So, all of that is my long preamble to say. <clears throat> Here is the story of John the Baptist as told by John the Baptist. <clears throat> I'm not going to do a voice. All right. <clears throat> this is going to be weird. I'm so nervous right now. <clears throat> You don't really get to choose your life, not really. In a lot of ways, you get handed a set of cards and you play them. Of course, that's what a man waiting to be beheaded would say, and I don't say it out of bitterness, but out of gratitude. I, for one, am grateful for my cards. I wouldn't trade them for anything, even now. But I'm sure you're wondering, how did I get here? Well, my story begins even before I was born, which is an odd place to start. My story is completely and utterly in the shadow and reflection of someone else's. Now, that may seem tragic, but again, I am grateful. To be of no service to anyone is a wasted life. To be in service of a great man and a great cause is a blessing. And to be able to see the things that I have seen and to do the things that have been done through me is nothing short of miraculous. But I'm getting ahead of myself. My story begins in the womb. That part I take on faith from my mother, but allegedly the first time that I met Jesus, I danced in the womb. While my body and brain were still being formed, my soul had found its true purpose. That prenatal greeting, that in utero disco, if you will, right, would start my life on a path that I couldn't have chosen for myself. It's strange how much of your life is decided before you even see the light of day. Growing up, I always knew I was different. Now looking back, I cannot decide if I was made to be different or if I was subconsciously being prepared for the role that I would one day play. Either way, the other kids didn't understand, so one day I just walked away from it all. Away from all the hustle and the bustle, away from all the deadlines and distractions, away from what most people call life. I walked away into the wild, into the unknown, into a world that works completely different than this one. I'm not sure if I fully knew what God had for me when I walked away, but I still, I walked. I walked out into the wilderness, 
It's sort of like van life, but without the $80,000 van or the obsessive amount of social media posts. I learned a few things while in the wild. First off, I learned that a little bit of honey makes everything better, even bugs. Second, I found out that getting honey out of a camel skin shirt is next to impossible. And third, I discovered that when you bump into someone from high school looking like Robin Williams from Jumanji, odds are they won't recognize you. But, hey, again, you can't pick your life. Now, sure, my life was full of challenges and sacrifices that were unique to me, but I came to a place where I started to feel sorry for the normies, the regular people. They were out there just living their life. I mean, sure, my life was dangerous, it was full of sacrifices, it was dirty, it was without conveniences, but I was able to hear from God in a way that few people can. Most people's lives are too busy and too loud, and in my experience, God speaks the most in silence and solitude. In fact, it was on a particular quiet day when I heard it. A voice, not audible, not booming, but quiet, like a whisper. It said, someone is coming. Prepare the way. Make his paths straight. Someone is coming. Prepare the way. Make his paths straight. From that point on, I had a purpose, a plan. I would stand by the river, and I would share the message that was given to me. Someone was coming, and there was a better kingdom on the way. Then, if anyone received this news, I would baptize them. Now, this was a symbolic cleansing. I knew it was nothing like the cleansing of the one that was coming. Mine was about catharsis and feeling better about your sins and living a new life. His would erase them completely. The strange thing is that people started to join me. People from all kinds of walks of life took this message to heart. I baptized them, and a small group of them wanted to stay with me. I told them, I'm no rabbi, and this life isn't for everyone, and still, they came. After a while, I started to get attention from the local authorities. Apparently, the people in charge of this kingdom don't like it when you start talking about another one. It started with some of the religious authorities coming out. I let them know real quick that they weren't going to use me to gain any points with any of their followers. I told them two important things about this new kingdom that was coming. One was that being a child of Abraham was not going to be enough. In fact, it never really was. God chose Abraham and promised to bless his descendants, but it wasn't just a gift. It was also a covenant. The promise was that if God's people would keep his commands, then God would bless them. They received no blessing just by sharing the heritage. Which leads me to the second thing that I told them, that the axe is coming down. That every tree that does not bear fruit in keeping with repentance is going to be cut down. In this new kingdom, repentance, or admitting that you have done wrong, was going to be the new way that you show that you belong. Which leads me to the second group of people that I upset, the political elite. You see, basically, what had happened was, Herod is lame. He's our governor, and uh, basically because he started hanging out a little bit too much with his brother's wife, they both ended up divorcing their spouses so that they could marry each other. This caused a literal war with his old wife's father, and lots of people lost their lives, but does Herod care? No, no, of course not, because he's weak and he's foolish. Too weak to say no to his temptations, too foolish to save the lives of his people, and so I said just that. 
I said, this is not right. You can't do that. And apparently, he heard about it. Now, part of me, part of being me, the pleasure and responsibility of being me is to tell it like it is, to speak truth to power and to live with the consequences. And if they don't like it, that's fine because this kingdom is not my own. I'm just telling you about the reality of the kingdom that is coming. A man wasn't meant to divorce his wife, at least not just because he wants an upgrade. I don't care. I'll say it. And here I am rotting in a cell because of it. Now, you might have been too scared to kill me at first because I have followers, but they couldn't also have me out there talking to people and continuing to say this thing about him. So here I sit, at least until last week. It was during this time, as I was sitting in jail, that I started to get cold feet. Started to wonder if all of this was a waste. If everything I had devoted my life to had been for nothing. I didn't see this kingdom of God happening around me. All I saw was a jail cell. I didn't see any grand transformation that God told me to tell people about. So, in my worry and concern, I got word out to one of my disciples, one of my followers, to go and to find out from Jesus if he was the real deal, if he was going to actually bring about this kingdom of God. And the answer they came back with was simple and direct enough. He told them to tell me what they saw. Miracles, nothing less. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are healed, the dead rise again, the good news is being preached to those who need it. It was as if this kingdom that I was told about was coming alive around me. He was ushering in the beginning of it. And I knew in that moment I wouldn't even get to live to see it. See, Herod's birthday had come up, and they had like a big party. He and his boys would gather together, and they would eat, and they would drink, and whatever. And so this year, he really ups the ante on the debauchery, and instead of any of the millions of girls that he could have had to come and dance and perform with him, he gets his own stepdaughter, who is also his niece, mind you, to come and to dance for him. And he was either so drunk, or she did such a good job, that this fool promises her whatever she asks. Naturally, after a little prompting from mom, she decides that she wants my head on a platter. Couldn't chance it that I would continue to disrupt their new happy family. So, because he was in front of his friends, he was compelled to say yes. Now here I sit, pondering what face I should make when the sword comes down. I've always been an outsider, a little bit of a strange guy, I think I want one final shock to society when they take that lid off the platter. It's funny. You know that your life, even when guided by God, can be decided by seemingly random sets of events? Like you would think that having the hand of God on your life would make you immune to the chaos and randomness of life, but it doesn't. I left society, I sacrificed friends and family, I shared the good news of God at great personal cost, all to have my life end up here. I told Herod he shouldn't separate from his wife, and because of that, he's separating my head from the rest of me. Even in the midst of life 
that is random and chaotic. It feels as though one moment of pure beauty can make up for a lifetime of pain and suffering. My one beautiful moment came one day when I was baptizing people in the river. He came up, the one I was made for, the one whose sandals I am not even fit as a slave to untie, the one in whom my soul finds life and purpose and meaning and joy. He walked up and asked to be baptized. I said, no, I can't do that. I need to be baptized by you. Why would you come to me? He said, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So I took him out into the water. I took his head in my hands, brought him down and let the water flow over him and brought him back up. And as the water splashed and shattered the light all around us, the sky opened up and something that looked like a dove floated down onto him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I don't know how to describe a moment like that. I don't know how to make you feel it in the same way that I felt it. That this moment made all the horrible moments that much better. That this moment made all the bad moments worth it. It felt a little bit like the best man at a wedding. You stand next to the groom and you see the bride come down the aisle and you feel joy. Now sure, it's not your wedding, but that doesn't lessen it. In fact, in the face of true love, it makes it better. You feel joy for your friend and for the bride and for the life they would build together. That's what it felt like. Like I was at the wedding feast of this new kingdom. It's not my kingdom, mind you, but I got to be the best man. I got to be the first to see the bride coming down the aisle. And I knew from that moment on, my life's purpose had been complete. Forevermore, I was to decrease so that he might increase. And so, here I am. One moment of beauty made my entire life worth it. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.